Hello and welcome to episode 560 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. It is my pleasure to be with you this afternoon. My name is Terrence M. Stanton. We're recording on Tuesday, June 13th, 2023, in the year of our Lord Jesus Christ, the feast day of St. Anthony of Padua. St. Anthony, pray for us. Let us begin with the Tuesday prayer. To the Blessed Virgin Mary to obtain a good death by St. Alphonsus Liguri. O Mary, how shall I die? Even now that I think of my sins and of that decisive moment on which my salvation or eternal damnation depends, of that moment in which I must expire and be judged, I tremble and am confounded. O my sweet mother, my hopes are in the blood of Jesus Christ and in thy intercession. O comfortress of the afflicted, do not then abandon me. Cease not to console me in that moment of so great affliction. If I am now so tormented by remorse for sins committed, the uncertainty of pardon, the danger of relapse, and the rigor of divine justice, what will become of me then? Unless thou helpest me, I shall be lost. Ah, my lady, before death obtain me great sorrow for my sins, thorough amendment and fidelity to God during the remainder of my life. And when my last moment arrives, O Mary, my hope, help me in the great distress in which I shall then be. Encourage me that I may not despair at the sight of my sins, which the devil will place before me. Obtain that I may then invoke thee more frequently, so that it may expire with thy most sweet name and that of thy beloved son on my lips. Nay more, my lady, but forgive my boldness. Before I expire, do thou come thyself and comfort me with thy presence. Thou hast granted this favor to so many of thy devout servants. I also desire and hope it. I am a sinner, it is true. I do not deserve so great a favor. But I am thy servant, love thee, and have full confidence in thee. O Mary, I shall expect thee. Do not disappoint me of this consolation. At least if I am not worthy of so great a favor, do thou help me from heaven, that I may leave this life loving God and thee, to love thee eternally in paradise. May all the words that I speak be so many arrows dipped in the blood of thy sacred heart, O Jesus, to pierce the hearts of all who hear them with love for thee. Amen. The Holy Face of Jesus of the Vale of Veronica. Dear Lord, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer these prayers in reparation for the sins which most offend God in our times, blasphemy, the profanation of Sunday and holy days, and communism. Pater Noster, quias in celi, sanctificator nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in celo et in terra, panam nostrum quotidianum de nobis hodie, et dimite nobis debita nostra, Sicut et nos dimitibus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libra nos amalo. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tua mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria Mater Dei, or pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et honor mortis nostrae. Amen. Gloria Patri, et Filio, et Spiritui Sancto, sicut erat in principio, et nunc et semper, et in secula seculorum. Amen. The Golden Arrow Prayer. May the most holy, most sacred, most adorable, most mysterious, and unutterable name of God be praised, blessed, loved, adored, and glorified in heaven, on earth, and in the hells, by all God's creatures, and by the sacred heart of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the most holy sacrament of the altar, Amen. For the defeat of communists, Freemasons, and all revolutionary men. Eternal Father, I offer thee the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and all the instruments of his holy passion, that thou mayest put division in the camp of thy enemies. For as thy beloved Son hath said, a kingdom divided against itself shall fall. 
Eternal Father, we offer thee the holy face of Jesus, covered with blood, sweat, dust, and spittle, in reparation for the crimes of communists, blasphemers, and for the profaners of the holy name, and of the holy day of Sunday. Amen. And now from the Sacred Heart Book by the late Father F.X. Lassance for the 13th day of June. Our hearts are made for Jesus alone, and so can find no repose, no joy, no consolation, but in his heart. As the appetite is a mark of the health of the body, so an eagerness to approach Jesus in the Holy Communion is a mark of the fervor of the heart. St. Margaret Mary Alacoque. God of goodness and Father of mercies, we beseech thee through the Immaculate Heart of Mary and by the intercession of the patriarchs and holy apostles to look with compassion upon the remnant of Israel so that they may come to a knowledge of our only Savior, Jesus Christ, and share in the precious graces of redemption. Amen. Today, friends, we are continuing our look at the series Becoming Virtuous from the excellent website fisheaters.com. This is how to acquire the virtue of prudence. Becoming a virtuous person starts with developing prudence. As prudence is the empress of the virtues, the sine qua non of all the others, it is the virtue that Aristotle and Aquinas after him described as right reason applied to practice, a perfection of the intellect. And because it's the intellect that must decide which actions are the most fortitudinous, temperate, or just in a given situation, we must begin here. When we choose something, our natural reason inclines us to choose the good. Prudence comes in after that choice. It's about knowing how we achieve that good, applying that knowledge to our circumstances and commanding action. It's concerned with finding the golden mean of a virtue we need to practice so that we don't err by deficit or excess in how we regulate our passions and will. This mean of virtue is the sweet spot between too little and too much. For example, fortitude is the virtue of regulating our irascible passions, hope, despair, fear, courage, and anger. If we need to act to counter an evil but don't out of fear, we err by deficit. If, to counter evil, we charge in unthinkingly, guns ablazing, destroying everything in our path, we err by excess. But if we deal ordinately with the evil, taking reasonable steps to achieve the right goal, and reasonably persevering in those steps despite hardship, then we've used prudence to find the mean of the virtue of fortitude. To find that mean and then act on a prudential judgment, to know what is the reasonable thing to do in given circumstance, in order to try to attain a noble goal, we first have to have knowledge about the facts at hand and knowledge of the moral principles to apply them. To this end, Aquinas tells us we rely on understanding, memory, docility, shrewdness, reason, foresight, caution, and circumspection, which the angelic doctor collectively terms the quasi-integral parts of prudence, each of these in more detail. Understanding. Here, Aquinas is referring to first principles, i.e., those things about which we have understanding based on the intrinsic nature of those things, such as basic moral principles or the natural law that is written into the hearts of men. For example, that murder is wrong, that the good is to be sought and evil is to be avoided, the axioms of mathematics. For example, that one plus one equals two, that A equals A or that a thing is what it is, the law of identity. That contradictory propositions, 
can't both be true in the same sense at the same time, the law of non-contradiction, that either a proposition is true or its negation is true. For example, a thing either is or is not the law of excluded middle, etc. These are the fundamental a priori rules of thought without which there can be no rational thought or discussion at all. Sadly, these most basic first principles are no longer universally taken for granted. Nowadays, midwits tell us that men can be women, women can be men, and members of the one group morph into the other through surgery and hormones. Even as those same midwits assert that there are no differences between men and women, and that gender is nothing but a social construct. We see young people decrying those they call fascists while burning down police stations, assaulting passers-by, and looting. We have bishops who go on about dialogue, mercy, and accompaniment, but only for radi radical activists and heretics, not those who are Catholic in the same way our grandparents were. As I write, we have a pope who issued a motu proprio, actively destructive of tradition, a document entitled Traditionis Costades, Guardians of the Tradition. Radical errors are very widely being presented as Catholic teaching in the human element of the church. To wit, we live in a time of diabolical disorientation. We are lied to constantly by those who run our institutions and are expected to at least be silent and acquiesce if we're unable to enthusiastically embrace their violations of truth and basic logic. But don't let the prevailing and utter lack of reason infect your mind or spirit. Don't fear knowing what you know, and don't stop speaking what you know when it is necessary to do so. At the very least, never lie. Most especially, don't lie to yourself. As it's written in Isaiah 5.20, Woe to you that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Rest assured that a false witness shall not be unpunished, and he that speaketh lies shall not escape. That from Proverbs 19.5. Please read Alexander Solzhenitsyn's very short Live Not By Lies, and a hyperlink is given. I've read it several times. I highly recommend you read Live Not By Lies by Solzhenitsyn. I also recommend the literary biography pertaining to him by Joseph Pierce. The next section is Memory. Amusing Joseph Pierce story. I don't know if I've ever told this before on Our Lady's podcast. He's a Chelsea football club fan. I'm a Manchester United football club fan. And at the Catholic high school I was teaching at, this is eight or nine years ago maybe, he uh, found that out. He was giving a talk at the high school I was speaking at. And he pulled out his suitcase, got his Chelsea fo football club tie, and, and uh, touched my forehead with the tie like he was getting demons out of me when he saw I was a Manchester United fan. It was very funny. He has a great sense of humor. He's a very good man. Once we touch a hot stove, we have the experience in our sensory memory and are able to call on that memory to inform our judgment to not touch a hot stove again. There are also, though, the sorts of memories we acquire in a less immediate manner. For example, knowledge of the seven deadly sins to be avoided, of the Ten Commandments of God, etc., our intellectual memory is the reservoir of such things, and Aquinas recommends that we develop this sort of memory by making the memories it contains as like a sensory memory as possible. For example, by using visualization techniques, by associating one memory with another, by doing things to keep the memories available to us, by taking notes and going over them periodically, 
and by periodically actively trying to remember what we need to have in our intellectual memory. For example, by mentally recalling the memories in question. I also recommend here, this is me jumping in, um, the work of Kevin Vost, who touches on, Dr. Kevin Vost, who touches on St. Thomas Aquinas's uh, memory mansions in his books about memory, like Memorize the Faith, Memorize the Reasons. Check those out on Amazon. To continue, the medievals had wonderful mnemonic devices to guard their memories, devices that date to the ancient Greeks and Romans. One of those is the memory palace or method of loci. It involves choosing a place you know intimately, such as your childhood home. And this here in the article is getting into what I mentioned with Dr. Voss's uh, books and using it as a mental map of sites on which to mentally place the things you wish to recall. For example, if you want to remember to buy bread, eggs, cheese, and ice cream, imagine you are walking through the front door of your childhood home. There in the foyer, you see a loaf of bread. You then enter the next room, the living room, and on the couch, you mentally place a dozen eggs. As you enter the next room, say the dining room, you mentally place a block of cheese on the table. You make a left turn into the kitchen, and there you see ice cream on the counter. Once you have mentally placed the items of your grocery list in the various rooms of your house, mentally walk through those rooms a few times in order, visualizing the items in their places as best as you can to cement them in your memory. The more fantastical or emotionally compelling you can make the images, the better, because as Aquinas says, the unwanted, unusual, strikes us more and so makes a greater and stronger impression on the mind. So make the loaf of bread in the foyer eight feet tall. Imagine pink chickens hatching out of the dozen eggs. See a horde of mice nibbling on the block of cheese in the dining room and visualize the ice cream melting all over the kitchen counter. Instead of using your childhood home, you could imagine a city street you know well, a map, your church, whatever works for you. Key to the practice, though, is the selection of a place you know well and can imagine in a specific order. Visualization can aid memory in a thousand ways. It can be used to remember the names of people you meet. For example, when meeting Mrs. Muller, you can imagine her riding on a mule to remember her name. Or when meeting Mr. Hunter Woodward, imagine him stalking deer with a bow and arrow while walking toward a forest. You can associate your new acquaintance's name with something else as well. When meeting Greg Masterson, picture him in Greg, Greg Brady's groovy outfits giving Leonardo da Vinci, an artistic master, a Father's Day card. Another mnemonic trick is one med students are famous for, using the first letters of words to be memorized to form a new word or to associate with a new sentence. Two American standards are using the mnemonic HOMES, H-O-M-E-S, to recall the five Great Lakes, Huron, Ontario, Michigan, Erie, Superior. And the mnemonic, my very educated mother just served us nine pizzas, to recall the nine planets of our solar system, Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune. Pluto, yes, Pluto has been demoted, but let's have a little pity for it. Things to be remembered can be turned into songs or poems or associated with existing songs and poems to aid in their recall. For example, consider how everyone in the 1980s knew the phone number 8675309 because of Tommy Tutone's song Jenny or how everyone in the 1940s knew the phone number Pennsylvania 65000 because of Glenn Miller's tune the old schoolhouse rock cartoons of the 1970s are another example of this sort of mnemonic device and it seems that each profession or trade has its own set of rhythmic rhyming or alliterative mnemonics for its practitioners 
For example, construction workers will know lefty-loosey, righty-tighty, to remind them of which way to turn a tool to loosen or tighten a standard screw, nut, or bolt. Historians should know the rhythmic mnemonic for remembering the fate of King Henry VIII's six wives in order. Divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived, etc. Associating one set of information with a known second set of information is yet another way of storing up memory. I use this device off the moral thinking, a basic primer on Catholic moral theology page where I show how the seven deadly sins can be associated with the characters who inhabit Gilligan's Island and a hyperlink is given. Once you learn something, go over the information to commit it to long-term memory. Review the information an hour later, then three hours later. After this, review at a frequency that doubles at each incident. For example, review six hours later, then 12, then 24, etc. Work to strengthen your intellectual memory and feed it with what you need to know to make prudential judgments. Know the faith. Study catechisms. Have an understanding of the basics of Catholic moral thinking. Know the meanings of each line of the church's four creeds. Learn well what you need to know to carry out the duties you have in life and to make good judgments about the sorts of decisions you find yourself needing to make. Most importantly, make a nightly examination of conscience, going back through your memories of the day, so that in addition to discovering what you need to tell your priest in confession, you also find lessons on how to do better tomorrow. Note that during your nightly examination, it is absolutely crucial that your memory be true. As you go through your day, be exceedingly careful to not distort reality. Be mindful of any psychological defense mechanisms you employ to appear better to yourself or the world or to prevent your looking at the cold, hard truth about yourself and others in your life. In addition to making examinations of conscience nightly, periodically make a practice of mentally going over your entire life and considering ways in which you've sinned, failed, let others down, didn't do your best, lied, shamed yourself, etc., Confess these things to God and truly repent of them, i.e. take responsibility for them, learn from them, make any necessary apologies and restitution and try to do better in the future. It is fine, likely wise, to not publicly reveal certain failures, but it is never good or wise to lie about them, especially to yourself, or to disassociate yourself from responsibility for them. Own your past failures. A general life review is a good Lenten habit but it can be done anytime. Why should this be done periodically? Because past faults will likely become clearer to you the more deeply you grow in holiness. What may have escaped your attention earlier in your life can come to be seen as a glaring fault the more prudent you become. Docility. By docility, Aquinas means our openness to being taught, our willingness to learn, and the quality that allows us to take counsel from those who know better than we do who have more experience, who have shown themselves to be knowledgeable or wise. The acceptance of things based on the authority of another is a type of knowledge called faith. As an example, we as Catholics believe as we do by faith based on the authority of the church. When we're young, we accept by faith what our parents and grandparents tell us. Proverbs 15.5 teaches that a fool laugheth at the instruction of his father, but he that regardeth reproofs shall become prudent. When we grow older, we have to discern whom to trust to be reliable conveyors of information and fonts of wisdom. But these days, it's more of a struggle to find such people. 
The teachers we should be able to trust our children with have too often become ideologues who work to almost literally brainwash them into believing things that are simply not true. We can't trust almost all of our journalists, most of our politicians, far too many of our professors and teachers, many of our priests, and even some in our own families. But wise people are still out there, and it's good to find them. Some things to look for in a mentor or source of information are honesty, goodwill, dedication to first principles, ability to reason, carefulness with language, humility, willingness to admit wrong, willingness to say, I don't know when appropriate, honorable stated motives, honorable ulterior motives insofar as they can be discerned, expertise, ability to accurately apprehend, ability to clearly and accurately relate information, and of course, general virtue. When you find such a person, treasure and learn from him or her. Learn, too, from those who've gone before us. Read the words of G.K. Chesterton about the democracy of the dead on this site's page about the Logos. Hold on to tradition as the lessons our ancestors themselves learned with their century upon century of experiences and then preserved and passed down to us. Ecclesiasticus 6, 34-36 If thou wilt incline thy ear, thou shalt receive instruction. And if thou love to hear, thou shalt be wise. Stand in the multitude of ancients that are wise and join thyself from thy heart to their wisdom, that thou mayest hear every discourse of God and the sayings of praise may not escape thee. And if thou see a man of understanding, go to him early in the morning and let thy foot wear the steps of his doors. If we don't learn the lessons our ancestors have to teach us, we are doomed to repeat their mistakes. I strongly urge the study of history, too, so that you'll learn from the past in a more general, comprehensive way, something that's extremely important when making political decisions. Use older texts in this endeavor so that you'll avoid those likely to be contaminated by ideology. A book you may find helpful with a few caveats is History Handbook of Western Civilization by William H. McNeil. Lessons can be learned from most anyone, even if what they teach are lessons in what not to do. Talk to people, and when you do, really listen. Proverbs eighteen thirteen: He that answereth before he heareth showeth himself to be a fool and worthy of confusion. When speaking with someone, don't focus on what you're going to say next as he is talking. Don't unfairly judge him. Assume you have something to learn from him. Assume the best about him. Treat him as a brother or potential brother in Christ. Don't interrupt him unless it's to ask for clarification. Allow him to fully make his points before responding. Repeat back to him what he said using your own words to ensure understanding. Ask questions instead of assuming meaning when terms are unclear. Be genuine when you respond. Think before you speak, choosing your words carefully and bearing in mind the often subtle differences in how various words are understood and emotionally experienced. Don't say something you don't know to be true unless you qualify it as such. If you don't know, don't pretend you do. Never lie. Apologize if you err. Speak as though the other's willingness to embrace Christ is dependent on how well you act as an ambassador for him. If you're discussing a contentious topic, get your ego out of the way and don't try to win. Determine what you both agree on and what goals you may have in common and build from there. When possible and called for, allow him to save face, especially in a conversation overheard by others. There are lessons to be learned, too, from biographies, great literature, and drama, through which we can virtually experience the consequences of others' decisions without having to actually live them out ourselves. 
thinking about having an affair? You might think twice if you remember the fate of Emma Bovary and Flaubert's Madame Bovary. Are you always striving for riches? The great Gatsby might reinforce in you the truth that money doesn't bring happiness. Think that sin doesn't lead to dissolution and chaos? Read what happened to Raskolnikov in Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment. Great books, plays, and films can be good teachers. Make use of them. See this site's Catholic library and a list of recommended books. Shrewdness. Shrewdness, Aquinas tells us, is concerned with a facile discovery of the middle term, i.e. that which connects things together and likely explains them. For example, you come home and find a bag of cookies you'd left in the kitchen ripped open and cookie crumbs all over the floor. You then spot your dog sitting in the corner looking sheepish and not wanting to make eye contact with you. Bag of cookies has been opened and the dog looks guilty are the two facts you know. The middle term here is the hypothesis that the dog ripped open the bag and had himself a feast while you were away. Ah, he's still a good boy though. It's the hypothesis that serves as not only a possible explanation, but as the most likely explanation for a set of facts. Arthur Conan Doyle's character of Sherlock Holmes is the master of finding middle terms and of abductive reasoning. The character's Lieutenant Frank Columbo from the TV show Columbo and Adrian Monk from the TV show Monk are two others. All are fun to read about or watch. Also fun are lateral thinking puzzles, which are an interesting way to practice abductive reasoning to its limits. You can find lots of books filled with them, but they're the most fun with two people. One reads the solution and responds to questions the other asks while trying to find the answer. As an example, one classic lateral thinking puzzle is this one. A man lives on the 10th floor of a building. Every day, he takes the elevator to go down to the ground floor to go to work or to go shopping. When he returns, he takes the elevator to the seventh floor and walks up the stairs to reach his apartment on the 10th floor. He hates walking, so why does he do it? Person A reads the solution. Person B asks questions of person A, such as, does the man have an enemy he wants to avoid? Someone who gets on the elevator from the eighth floor at night or something? Or does he do it for the exercise? And receives the answers no, yes, or not relevant as they pertain. See the solution to the puzzle here and a hyperlink is given. There can be multiple solutions to lateral thinking puzzles, some quite bizarre, but it can be good practice to stretch the mind in trying to come up with the answers. Another fun thing to do with a friend is to sit and people watch, making Sherlockian observations about the clothing, demeanor, gestures, etc. of passers-by, and coming up with best guesses as to who they are, what their lives are like, what they do for work, and so forth. Reason. By reason here, Aquinas is referring to discursive reasoning, i.e. deductive reasoning, validly reasoning from general premises to come to conclusions about specifics, conclusions that necessarily and certainly follow from these premises, and thereby forming an argument that is sound if the premises are true, and inductive reasoning, reasoning from premises about particulars to make general conclusions that have some degree of probability of being true. It's beyond the scope of this page to cover these topics in detail. The best way to get good at discursive reasoning is to read a book or take a course on basic logic, not formal or symbolic logic, but informal logic or logic 101. Either of these books might help you. An Elementary Handbook of Logic by John J. Tui S.J. An Introduction to Logic by Irving M. Copey. At the very least, 
become familiar with logical fallacies, both formal and informal, and learn to recognize them when you see them. And learn to recognize when you don't see them. A download to help you out is the PDF of logical fallacies. Beware, too, of the various cognitive biases we humans tend to have. <coughs> Excuse me. Three to look out for and ways around them. Confirmation bias. The tendency to remember and give credence only to information that supports one's beliefs. To get around this when seeking information, get outside of any bubble you're in. Read and seek out opinions and information from those who are very different from you and those you tend to surround yourself with. Extend your circle of acquaintances. Framing effect. The tendency to react to the same information differently depending on how the information is framed. For example, consider probable emotional reactions to these two different statements that reveal precisely the same content about the odds of success and failure. There's a 10% chance that you will fail. And there's a 90% chance that you will succeed. To get around this problem, mentally restate information you're given using different words and different frames. Survivorship bias. The tendency to focus only on things that have made it through some sort of selection process, ignoring those things that didn't. The classic example comes from World War II, when the Army Air Force looked at bombers that made it back after missions, saw that the wings and tails of the plane were the most shot up parts of those plane, and decided to reinforce only those parts of the plane. What they'd miss is that planes that were shot up in other areas didn't make it back to base at all. When this was pointed out to them, instead of reinforcing the wings and tails, they reinforced the exact opposite areas of the plane, and after they did, plane loss plummeted dramatically. The way around survivorship bias is to consider those things that did not make it past whatever selection processes you're using. Foresight and caution. Foresight is the ability to look ahead and imagine how a decision you or others make will likely play out. When making a decision, know that the goal you choose must be a moral one, and the actions you take in achieving the goal must each be moral, i.e. know that the ends don't justify the means, or one can never do evil in order to achieve a good. But even if the actions succeed, will they likely achieve your desired end? Could your plans backfire and leave you worse off? The prudent person considers these things. He has foresight, which is what Aesop warned us about with his tale, The Fox and the Goat. A fox fell into a well and thought it was not very deep. He found that he could not get out again. After he had been in the well a long time, a thirsty goat came by. The goat thought the fox had gone down to drink, so he asked if the water was good. The finest in the whole country, said the crafty fox. Jump in and try it. There's more than enough for both of us. The thirsty goat immediately jumped in and began to drink. The fox just as quickly jumped on the goat's back and leaped from the tip of the goat's horns out of the well. The foolish goat now saw what a plight he had got into and begged the fox to help him out, but the fox was already on his way to the woods. If you had as much sense as you've as you have beard, old fellow, he said as he ran, you would have been more cautious about finding a way to get out again before you jumped in. Look before you leap. When making a decision, slow down and think about the possible ramifications of the actions you choose. Some questions to ask yourself when making a big decision. Is the goal I'm trying to achieve a good one? Would it please God? Is each step I'm considering taking to achieve that end moral? Is there a less risky way to achieve the goal? Is there a more sure way to achieve the goal? Is there a more expedient way to achieve the goal? 
Is there a less expensive way to achieve the goal? Is there a way to achieve the goal that doesn't rely so much on the goodwill of others? Are the actions I'm considering taking likely to actually achieve the goal I have in mind? What things stand in the way of any of the steps I need to take to achieve my goal? How can I work around them? What could go wrong if I take the actions I'm considering? How likely is it that things go wrong? How could those things be avoided? If these things happen, how would I work around them? What would be my position if any of the steps taken were to fail? What would be my position if the overall goal were to fail? Have others taken the step I'm considering taking? If so, what happened? How did their circumstances differ from mine? What do others who might consider wise and trustworthy think about the actions I'm considering taking? How would my actions affect others? What would be sacrificed in trying to achieve the goal? What would be sacrificed or not gained by not trying to achieve the goal? Is the good of the desired end commensurate with the cost of the sacrifices that need to be made to reach that end? Am I ignoring my own cognitive biases? such as the ones mentioned earlier, i.e. confirmation bias, framing effect, survivorship bias? Have I gotten the opinions of people who don't share my ideas, reframed the information I'm working with, and considered what I'm overlooking information-wise? What might the potential long-term effects of my decision be? What would things look like in 5, 10, 20 years if I were to succeed or fail? Would this goal be better achieved at a different time, in a different place, with different people, in a different way? How will I know when my goal is achieved? If my goal isn't achieved, what will be my exit strategy or plan B? Note, Aquinas lists foresight and caution separately. Circumspection. As to those last questions in the list above, in order for a human act, an act that exercises the will to be a moral one, it must have the right end or purpose, to be done for the right motives, and be done under the right circumstances. Circumspection is the ability to assess all of the relevant information pertaining to those circumstances in order to make sure the actions you take actually achieve your goal and serve your motives. It involves the classic journalist questions, who, what, why, when, where, how. Throw in whom and you have the basic stuff of circumspection. The answers to those journalist questions can radically affect the prudence of a human act. To illustrate the point, Take one word or phrase randomly from each column below, from left to right, read them all together as one sentence, and see how different variables can radically change the nature of an act. And it gives the who, how, what, whom, where, when, and why. And it goes on from there. Um, If you'd like to read more, check out that website, fisheaters.com. It is absolutely fantastic. Let's pray now for help and for healing for our non-speaking friends and family members. Almighty and eternal God, healer of those who trust in you through the intercession of St. Raphael, Archangel, hear my prayer for non-speakers and their families. In your tender mercy, restore them to spiritual and bodily health that they may give you thanks, praise your name, and proclaim your wondrous love to all. I ask this through Christ your Son, our Lord. Amen. Once again, folks, for information on RPM, Rapid Prompting Method, a system of communication for non-speakers, please check out Helping Autism Through Learning and Outreach, available on the web at halo-soma.org, and tune into episodes 277 and 548 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast, in which I discuss RPM with my wonderful niece 
and my wonderful sister, and they're also interviewed by a gentleman from Word on Fire. The Memoriae to St. Joseph. Remember, O most chaste spouse of the Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto you, my spiritual father, and beg your protection. O foster father of the Redeemer, despise not my petitions, but in your goodness, hear and answer me. Amen. The three Hail Marys in honor of the immaculate purity of Our Lady of Fatima. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, Benedicta tua mulieribus, benedictus fructus ventris tui Jesus. Sancta Maria Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in mortis nostrae. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tua mulieribus, benedictus fructus ventris tui Jesus. Sancta Maria Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in mortis nostrae. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tua mulieribus, benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in mortis nostrae. Amen. And a Gloria Patri for a special intention. Gloria Patri et Filio et Spiritui Sancto, sicut erat in principio et nunc et semper et in secula seculorum. Amen. O most holy Trinity, I adore thee, my God, my God, I love thee, in the most blessed sacrament. Amen. Virgo potens, ora pronobis. Sancta Yosef, terra daimonem, ora pronobis. Sancta Raphael Archangeli, ora pronobis. In nomine Patris, et Fili, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Thank you very kindly, my friends, for tuning into episode 560 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. In your charity, please share Our Lady's podcast with everyone you know. Follow us on Twitter. The handle is at Fatima Podcast. If you think Our Lady's podcast is worthy of it, kindly give us a five-star rating and review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. But most importantly, offer up prayers and sacrifices for our Catholic bishops. Goodbye and God love you.